Hello and welcome to GlitchCube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, you guys. Thank you for joining us. We have done some episodes in the past where we dove into very specific gaming mechanics. We've done things like the, you know, like dying and or death is not just the beginning, that kind of stuff, right? We've, I mean, those have been a lot of fun, actually, to do some deep dives into those. But for today, what we're going to do, we are going to be talking about some love-hate mechanics. There are so many out there that are very interesting, very well-known, maybe overused or misused. Uh, and so we kind of want to bring up some of them. And if we have any gripes with them, we'll discuss it. And if it's just one that we absolutely love, we're going to praise the hell out of it like we normally do. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I will say this, this show or this podcast, honestly, like we don't want to go into the negative of things. There really isn't a negative to any one of these mechanics. It just might have been a slight annoyance, or maybe we think that something could have been done just a little different to make it much more enjoyable, right? There's always the designer's intent behind it, so we are not bashing anything uh, if we do happen to have some sort of gripe with it, okay? Just want to say that out front, because we try and stay very positive with the way we talk about games here. No negative here. We don't do We that. try. We try. Every once in a while, it comes up, but for the most part... You can't really say that there's an absolutely horrible game because they all are just very different, right? And yeah. maybe that game's just not for you right now. Like, for instance, right? We mean, Chris, were just talking about this, but like point and click games or narrative games, I really didn't like them when I was younger. I couldn't stand them. But now I love them. <laughs> so yeah. that's a really big thing where I think that, like I said, there is no bad games. It just might not be the right one for you or just not the right one for you right now. And keep that in mind. But I felt like it might be a good idea to kind of break down these mechanics into different kind of categories, or at least try to. I'm sure some of them might come up a little bit later in our discussion as well, where they should have probably went somewhere else, but that's totally fine. We're going to kind of let this free flow in because we do have a pretty interesting list of mechanics we want to get through, or at least touch on most of them if we can. But I thought we would start with something very simple. Uh, Traversal mechanics, something basic to movement, right? Movement is critical in games, and it is in every single game out there. But the way we move around the world is very different from game to game or the vibe of it, right? Like if you are playing a, a point and click game, you're not really doing a lot of movement, but you are moving from scene to scene to get more and more of that story or narrative. Whereas you play a game that's more open world, you're running around on horses, you got airships, you got all this kind of crazy things to help you get around this giant vast world, even if it might be kind of empty with, you know, how some open world games are, but there's plenty of ways to get around those. So why don't we start out with the one that's huge on everyone's list, because this game, for some reason, we just can't stop talking about it, and a lot of other gamers just can't stop talking about it either. Uh, and that is Breath of the Wild, uh, the climbing and gliding mechanics in this game. I think they're fantastic. I think it really adds something amazing to that scenery, and it just makes it so much more like a playground that you want to explore in. The fact that you can climb on anything 
just makes it really much more exciting. And it actually does remind me of a game that I talk about way too much, and that's Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> I love the climbing hmm. mechanic in that. And it just, it when I saw the, the stamina meter, as soon as I climbed up on a wall, I was like, oh, yes, I love this already, right? <laughs> like, it just kind of, like, brought me back to those days. And I, I just think it's a brilliant way of showing off this vast world that a lot of open world games don't do, which I think is a missed opportunity, but we are starting to see it a lot more. And people might be taking that concept a little too literally and, you know, not making it their own, but that's fine. You know, that's steal like an artist, right? That's kind of the whole saying there. But I, I just yeah. think it's a great idea, especially whenever you have an open world game, people want to explore it. So why not give them the opportunity to do just that, to fully explore the game? But I don't know. What, what's your take on the gliding and climbing mechanics, um, specifically in Breath of the Wild, or a game that you can think of that also used them in a very interesting way? So for me, I feel like Breath of the Wild has some things I really like and some things I really don't like, just with the mechanics alone. The the gliding and the climbing, like I love the climbing in that game because it's realistic. I mean, yeah, you're not seeing like you know, places where you would normally put your feet and hands, but it's realistic in the sense that you can climb it if you have the stamina. Like, it it doesn't visually look realistic, but it just seems realistic. And that's what I like about mm-hmm. it, because there were so many times where it was fun just to take a shortcut climbing up and instead of going around a different way, mm-hmm. you know, and... I wish more games had it. You know, I'm so used to games having it like Skyrim where you have to kind of keep jumping and jumping and jumping and hopefully you climb up the huge mountain. And you abuse which, the polygons and all that <laughs> stuff, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's fun doing that, but it's nice when you at least try to make it seem real of just actually climbing up. Um, the gliding's really cool, yeah. too. I feel like that's a system just... A lot of games now are getting better at. Um, the most recent game that had gliding that I didn't like was um, the New Horizon game. Mm. Uh, there's a you can get a little hover thing, and I just feel like you you drop down really fast, and you don't really move forward that much. And to me, that just kind of bugs me because at least like in Breath of the Wild. When you're going straight, you're you're moving. You know, you're actually going at a decent speed. Mm-hmm. You can traverse a lot of land. In Horizon, you just can't. And it sucks because it's fun when you get up on the tall mountain and you're like, oh, I'm going to jump off here and then think you're going to glide across the map, but you don't even really reach the base of the mountain. Like, it sucks. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of there's other games that did really good gliding, but... For me, Breath of the Wild really did it well. Uh, I think the the ripoff Breath of the Wild, Immortals Phoenix Rising, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny because they took a lot of the things I loved about Breath of the Wild and got rid of the things I hated about it. Like, they kept the climbing, uh, you know, the gliding, you could fly, kind of. like mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was the same thing. And the gliding was perfect in that. But they got rid of the one thing I hated the most was the durability in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Um, 
I think if your game has weapon durability and it's like where it breaks after five hits, fuck you. You know, like <laughs> not to be an asshole, but I'm like, I, I hate it. I really do. Like, I've never met a player that to, actually enjoyed that mechanic. I've I've met one or two just because they they say it it feels realistic. But I'm playing a video game. I, I'm sorry. It, like, it, yeah, it to me. There's durability done right, and I feel like that's Dark Souls, where yes, it does have a durability on it, but I've never had a weapon break. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe I have because I use the special power on it and it drains the durability. But it's almost impossible for your weapon to break. It's just there. You know, it kind of seems unnecessary at that point because the numbers are usually so high. But at least, you know, it's not like Breath of the Wild where you swing something and within five hits it's breaking. Like when you take a stick. And the stick lasts as long as the sword. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. There's a problem. Like, I I don't get it. And it sucks because it was fun being able to try all these different weapons. Like, I'm a person that I love trying different weapons and seeing how they play. And I love them a Breath of the Wild. The problem is, you never really got to hold on to them that long except for the Master Sword. Which, I mean, that's cool. Which, I mean, even that has a durability. But... It you can kind of survive with that one, yeah. but everything else, it's like I don't know, it's such a bummer. And I know other games have done it too, where they kind of break a little fast. But thankfully, I feel like that's not something we see in a whole lot of games. Right. I think the one time that I ran into some durability that I was like, okay, I get it, and I actually like this was uh, for the king, um, because some of the weapons there they do have like glass weapons. That you basically become like a glass cannon, but if you critical fail with the weapon, it has a chance of breaking, which I think makes total sense, right? If you totally whiff on an attack mm-hmm. and it snaps, it's like, well, first of all, you were warned, right? And second of all, yeah, it makes sense. Like you had a great big boon and there is a risk that comes with that. So there's like a really good system there, but it was it was clear from the beginning. And I think that's why it kind of just made more sense that way and just fit. Plus, it's a fun game. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. If you're like a glass cannon, then that makes total sense. Right. You know, if it's a powerful weapon, yeah. yeah. No. Then that makes sense that you eliminate it because you don't want just people to use that weapon the whole time. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So I want to talk about another moving mechanic real quick. Uh, and this one is just super fun. I, I, I don't think we're going to have to go too far into detail with this one. But honestly... Web slinging in any Spider-Man game is just fantastic. I remember the first time I played a Spider-Man game, Spider-Man 2 on the PlayStation. I've just freaking loved it. I loved moving around the town, all that. And then now seeing what we're able to do in these newer Spider-Man games, like, holy crap, is that amazing. And who doesn't want to do that, right? Like, who doesn't want to whip around the city and just have fun doing it? It's, it's just brilliant. So brilliant. And it... So fluid and like, who cares where the strands go? And if it doesn't make sense, you're you're Spider-Man, damn it! <laughs> like you should just be able to move around wherever you want. And I feel like those games have really, even from the beginning, have really nailed that part of it. Like I'm glad that they spent so much time focusing on that aspect of the game because that's such a crucial point. 
Oh, yeah. It's a big port. Um, I remember playing it on the first Spider-Man also on the PlayStation, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I thought it was kind of weird that your web just goes into the clouds, but it was awesome. It was so different. And the thing I love about the new Spider-Mans is that it it the web attaches to the building. You know, it's not into the clouds anymore. So, like, if you're at a building that's really high, you could just keep circling and going up. But if you're at some, like, you can't just shoot into the sky if there's no buildings. Mm-hmm. Like, they did make that realistic. And I love it. Like, it's it feels so real. You know, like, if you look back at the original on the PlayStation and then you look at the most modern one, you really see the evolution. Mm-hmm. And it's something I think we all take for granted in games when we look back at older titles of a series and you look at the modern ones because we're like, oh, it just looks better, you know, or it plays a little bit better. But when you look at Spider-Man, not only is it the web slinging, but just the gliding from that yeah. too. Like you gain so much speed in the new ones. You can do tricks. It just the effortless acrobatics. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It yeah. seems real, yeah. even though it's not, but it, it, it's crazy the evolution in those games. And I love it. Like, even though I beat Spider-Man a long time ago, I still go back to it just to like fly around the city. Cause it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why people still post those pictures a lot with like the whole virtual photography tags. Like Spider-Man is still one of the top ones that people love taking pictures in. And it makes sense. It's a beautiful and game. It fits like with it's, the theme too. I mean, Peter Parker did it constantly. And if I was Spider-Man, yeah. I'd do the same shit. <laughs> I'd have cameras posted up everywhere and just sling around because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that mechanic. I, I like when some, I know I've played a few games or maybe one or two that kind of try to copy something similar to that. I can't think it's more like hook yeah. shot kind of, um, it's very, it's very like directional for most like swinging mechanics, right? Like even like, um, yeah, Metroid prime, right? Like it did have that swinging mechanic that they actually did a really great job with it. The one on the GameCube. Uh, especially for the era hmm. too, like it was actually really well done, but it's very directional. Like here is my grapple point, and there is the platform I'm gonna land on, right? But the the Spider-Man ones make it where everywhere is a platform, everywhere is a grapple point, so it just allows you for even more freedom to that. But yeah, no, like hook shot hook shots have been around for a while. I mean, like Zelda does it fantastically; it helps you get to some amazing places, right? that you couldn't get to, but they're mm-hmm. very obvious points. Like, it's like, okay, this is where yeah. I'm going to use this here now, right? Like, or here is a bar that I can grab onto, right? Like, that. it's very, like, it almost doesn't fit in the scenery anymore. It doesn't fade mm-hmm. in the background like a good mechanic, I think, should. And I think that's one of the things, too, like, with a lot of these mechanics is that, like, they they fade in the background as good design should. And I know that sounds weird, right? But like some of the best design things in the world, not just talking about games now, just simply fade into the background. Like even something as simple as like a door handle, right? So like if you have a door handle and a door plate, your brain automatically knows I'm going to pull the door handle, I'm going to push the door plate. 
you don't have to think about that. But think about the design aspect of it where it fits so well into your life, it just fades into the background. That is good design. That is clever design. And it's brilliant. It's timeless. So I think like that's what a lot of these mechanics are. It's just like the swinging mechanic, it's gorgeous and it's expected. You're Spider-Man. So people, I don't feel like people praise it enough as being such a standout thing. And as it should be, or a lot of these mechanics that we're going to be talking about. I mean, the other thing that I think is really cool about that is how great the graphics are to those games. Because when you're able to see it at 60 frames and it's just effortless, like, gliding and swinging, it's just, it's unreal. And I, I never really thought about how you said that like that where it just disappears. And I'm like, it's a really... Didn't think about it like that. Yeah, I mean, think I about like your favorite. Ponder that. Think about more. some of your favorite games. Like, here's a thought experiment for all the listeners out there. Think about your favorite games or your favorite things, right? And just how it fades into the background. It just seamlessly like works without you having to really think about it. It just makes sense. Like even the iPhone, right? The way that we're able to navigate things. It just it flows, it makes sense, it like pinch to zoom, like what a brilliant freaking mechanic to be built into any sort of technology that has been used over and over again, and we're going to have that forever, but it's something that just makes sense, right? Your brain mm-hmm. instantly wants to do that. So that that's, that's a sign of a good mechanic there. But anyway, enough of the design class here. <laughs> so the <laughs> next set of uh, some of the mechanics I think we should be discussing is the social mechanics. And this is a, a branch of mechanics that I feel really gets overlooked when people talk about how good a game can be or is. Uh, social mechanics, even I, I've never really gave them much thought until recently, uh, whenever I started seeing them being used in very interesting ways. And with how connected we are with gaming now, it just makes sense that the social mechanics are going to be, you know, expanded on a little bit. And one of the first social mechanics that I really enjoyed or thought was actually a really cool thing, and then it kind of became very trolly, and, you know, it's the internet. Of course it's (laughs) going to happen that way. But it was the message system in Dark Souls, how you can leave little Mm -hmm. notes behind for people in the game itself, like, hey, look out, big boss up here, or, you know, like, I remember playing that and seeing the first note I found and was like, hey, there's a dude around the corner. And there actually was. And I was like, oh, shit, that's cool. Thanks, random person. <laughs> right? Like, Or like, uh, there was a cheese spot. Big chest. Yeah, big chest up ahead, right? Or the, the cheese spot <laughs> to um, like get enemies to run off the cliff. There was a little ledge right mm-hmm. off the cliff. And there were so many notes right there like saying, hey, kite people over here and jump down. Trust me. Right? But then uh, later on in the game... I saw one of those was like, hey, kite area up ahead, trust me. And you jump and you just fall to your death off the cliff. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, you got to, you know, pay attention a little bit. I was just blindly following because I, you know, fell into the trap of accepting what people were writing and thought that people wanted to be helpful. <laughs> and then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's the Internet. But it does add like a really interesting twist there, especially with the Dark Souls games in particular, because that is a single player experience. But now it felt like and this is before you can, you know, jump into other people's games and all that stuff. Like I, I didn't ha- when I first started playing these games, like that really wasn't a big thing yet. But the fact that we have that now and there's even like, you know, Elden Ring multiplayer and all that crap, whatever. Right. 
like this is a way of it felt like we were sharing the world with each other and sharing the experience with each other and going through it side by side without actually having to play with somebody and it was a really interesting way of doing it and like it felt like the world was bigger than it really was or at least there was more to it Mm -hmm. even though there really wasn't right we're all playing the same exact game so I, i thought that was really really clever and a really like standout thing that uh, I feel like more games are starting to use that or try and use social mechanics in a very interesting way, at least. So, Yeah, it it's kind of weird because it's like, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, it's cool because it's like multiplayer, but not, you know, and it's it's cool being able to explore places that other people went and i i love that idea you know it's when i played elden ring because i was able to play it non-stop when it came out i was kind of i feel like ahead of a lot of other people so at first when i would go some areas there were no messages right so i left one or two and then after maybe two three weeks you know i see like 10 messages left in certain spots and i'm like oh wow like now all these people have come through here and stuff and it's it's cool mm-hmm. you know it's it's a different kind of multiplayer and it's interesting you know like people don't have to be there but you know that they've been there and it feels almost as important like it's just it's a cool feeling yeah so another game that I feel really took this idea and ran with it in a very interesting way is one I haven't actually played, but I know that you've played it and you have more experience with it, but that's Death Stranding. And the social mechanic behind that I think is so interesting that it actually makes me want to play this game more because of it. But maybe you can explain it a little better than I can. So I'm playing through it right now. And I, for me, I truly love it. I think during when I had COVID, it was kind of that relaxation time Mm -hmm. to play that game because for the most part, you are just delivering packages. Like it's not super stressful until the enemies pop up. But once you get good at it, you don't really worry about that either. So it was just relaxing and, you know, it's weird. It's Kojima. Like it's, it's an odd story, but it's gorgeous. Like, there's certain times in this game, like, I've never seen such beauty. It's phenomenal. Uh, and going to what you were saying with the whole strand system that they call it, it, it does feel like an evolution of the message system in Dark Souls, because, you know, you don't see these other people, but you see things that they left. And when you first play the game the first region you don't really see it too much because you know you're just getting your shareable stuff right like your ladders and your climbing ropes you're not getting like the bigger stuff like watch well i guess you you do get watchtowers in the beginning but a lot of the upgrades and stuff you don't really get so you don't feel super beneficial but those people can always come back later on once you've unlocked everything and leave it but the whole thing with Death Stranding is that people should work together, right? You know, it's it's an America that's been, like, pretty much wiped out, and everyone needs to come together and help. So, I kind of was like, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, the first 
in the eastern region, I left a ladder or two, and it said one or two people used it. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, people leave things behind, and they can be liked. And um, it lets you know when people use it. And you're basically in a server with, I forget how many other people are in it at any given time. Um, definitely over 100, because I've had, at one point, from being on, I had 100 people okay. use it. And it's interesting because, you know, you'll get these messages that people used your stuff. And I'm like, whoa, people are doing this right now where I just was, you know, and you'll see it on your map, like things people left behind. But what I love about the second region is that you can build roads. Mm. And these roads, they're at predetermined places, but you got to like supply the materials, right? You got like three things going to supply. It's always a high amount. Like it's, it's kind of a journey, you know, once you unlock trucks, it makes it a lot easier. I just kept building roads and people love it because it makes deliveries so easy. You know, you don't have to worry about rocks. You don't have to worry anything. You just take the road from one point to the next. Boom. Easy for anyone trying to platinum. It makes the game cakewalk. Mm. But I just started falling in love with it. You know, like some people would help and put stuff to it, but roads for the most part aren't the biggest thing people like to do like a lot of people like to leave like generators behind which recharges your vehicle or your like skeletons so you can like run faster and stuff or they leave post boxes and it's kind of cool because sometimes you'll see lost cargo right so say another human player died or dropped one of their cargo it'll show up in another person's world as like lost cargo Uh, and you can either deliver it for them or you can put it back in the box and then it'll get sent to them, you know? And then of course you get likes from them. Like it's, it's cool how you kind of work together with other people. That's a cool aspect. I didn't know the cargo thing. That's really cool. Yeah. Like there was, God, I was stupid. I, I took a truck into the mountains and I couldn't take it any further because the river was too strong and I had built a zip line to get to the next uh, delivery spot. And the zip line makes it easy up this mountain, you know, with a truck, you can't even drive up the mountain. So I'm like, okay, I'll leave my truck here. It'll be fine. I didn't think about it that all my cargo was in that truck. Mm. And because I went really far away from it, you just, I just get all this message like, it is now lost cargo, blah, blah, blah. And all these things that I had carrying in there, which, you know, they weren't special. They were just materials that I built, right? Mm-hmm. That means that now those are getting sent into other people's worlds and they can either deliver it or they can keep it. And I mean, it's cool because a lot of that stuff there, like, you know, some of that stuff might be too hard for people to make. Right. Or it's just like, a nice little convenience for them. And I'm like, okay, you know what? That's cool. If it helps somebody, that's awesome. And it feels good when you see other people use your stuff and it it's fun to use other people's stuff. Like it's a very social and interactive game, even though you don't interact with anybody at all. Yeah. It's it's different. 
I would love to see more games try to do something like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how other games could, but I love the idea. You know, like that's one of the big reasons that's pushing me through this game. You know, the story, the story is weird. It's okay. But this strand system is just so fascinating to me that it just makes me want to keep building roads. You know, it makes me want to help other people. And I love it. Yeah. It's definitely a cool system. And I mean, if if you have the PlayStation, you know, service, that premium service, whatever, like, that's how I'm playing it. So, I mean, that way, you know, you don't have to go out and buy it. But, I mean, it gets pretty cheap sometimes. And, I mean, I recommend it, but I know it's a game that a lot of people might not right. like just because of the other aspects of running to different places. Like, it is a running simulator for the most part, but it's beautiful and it's fun, you know? Like, I I really like it. Yeah, didn't they hook that game up to, like, a treadmill at one point? Like, someone was actually I mean, I believe it. It's very interesting. But it definitely does make me want to play it more after finding out about this system. Because that's so complex, but I feel like it doesn't get talked about that much. Or at least it's not like on the forefront. Like that should have been on the forefront. How cool is that? And it's just And you see the players' names too on all the stuff. Like either things that have been built or like the cargo that's left behind. Like you see their names, so you know it's like a real person that lost it or dropped it off. I love that. I love that so much. Alright, so I think the next batch of mechanics that I want to kind of discuss or think that we can go over is story-based mechanics. Now, story-based mechanics, that's probably not the right term for them, but it felt good when I said it. <laughs> but it's it's basically <laughs> mechanics that are there to help drive the story forward or enhance the story that you're currently in, right? And there's a couple, like, obvious ones out there, like, uh, you know, m- like decision mechanics in games, which I think are fantastic, where if you make the wrong or make one choice, another side of the story is completely locked out from you. And I think that's brilliant because that's more realistic that way and it gives more weight behind the decisions that you make. But then there's other simple ones too, like Mr. X in Resident Evil, right? Like that is a very strong story element that helps push the player forward. But not just push the player forward, it helps add in extra like tense moments and just adds in that extra drama that you want from a Resident Evil game. I think it's super, super clever. And actually, another one that is super simple is Turf Wars in Monster Hunter World. Now, I absolutely hmm. love Monster Hunter World. I think it's a fantastic game. I've put so many freaking hours into that title. It's not even funny across two different consoles. I fell in love with this game, but I was also a big Monster Hunter fan beforehand, too. And I just felt like this is great for me right now because it's not a Monster Hunter game that I feel like I have to drop all my life into. Right. It it was a little bit easier to get into. But one of the great little mechanics that they put in there is while you're going through on a hunt, you can actually see two beasts just start fighting each other. And you can even kite monsters to fight one another, which is really cool, too. And then you can join in the fray and just start beating up on the monster that's getting its ass kicked, (laughs) right? Like, it's kind of fun. But you got to be careful because otherwise you could potentially pull aggro from both or one of them might run away because it's taking too much damage from the other one. But the the damage is actually there. It's not just like, you know, monsters fighting, rah, 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 but they're not actually hurting each other. 
No, they're actually hurting mm-hmm. each other, which is really, really cool. I don't think I've ever seen like two full out kill each other, but the fact that that's a thing is really interesting. And one of the cool things too that they have in there is um, you can actually like fling dung at people <laughs> at the monsters. So like if they're <laughs> if you're trying to do a hunt on one specific one. Uh, and then a bigger beast comes in and you're like, oh shit, like I'm not ready to fight this thing. You can fling dung at the one you don't want to fight and it runs away. It's like, whoa, what the hell was that? I'm out of here, fuck? right? So it's kind of funny to that that's a thing, but it's very, very clever and very like, I don't know, it just made it much more realistic and it made the the scenes there and just the world that much bigger. Like I absolutely love it so much. That's really cool. I didn't know about the whole turf war thing. Um, I never really got into Monster Hunter, but that sounds really cool. Because I, I love when games try to incorporate something like that. Like, I love being able to turn, you know, the CPU against the mm-hmm. CPU. You know, like, there's something so pleasing about that. Like, being able to watch, like, you know, this game basically play itself. And something like that, where it's like big old beasts fighting each other, that's like cool. that's really cool. cool. Like I remember the first time I saw it happen, I was fighting. I can't remember the names of everything now, even though I put so much time into it because that, that part of my brain is now gone. <laughs> but there was mm-hmm. um, like the beast that you fight early on, like this giant iguana is out there, and like I'm hunting it, fighting it, like oh that's cool. And then all of a sudden, like, a freaking Rathalos just comes down and starts fighting the beast that I was fighting. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, and I was so underleveled and not ready for this that I had to just run away. I was like, I'm <laughs> out of here, man. Like, you guys, you do your thing. Shit. Like, I'll wait at the den whenever this thing gets too hurt and it decides to try and run away. I, I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm by peace, you know. But it was just like a really cool mm-hmm. thing because it just made like the stakes feel more real. And just that much more intense, which I thought was very, very clever. And it's a really good, like, it's just a great introduction to the Monster Hunter series alone, right? But I don't know. I just absolutely love that those kind of mechanics. So much fun, so much fun. The the Mister X, um, I still need to play through too. I was trying to get it started, but if to me. In the past, I hated games that rushed mm-hmm. me like that, especially games where I'm being chased. Like, I've I've played my fair share of horror games, you know, and you know, you got your typical like clock tower kind of game where you have an enemy that chases you throughout the game, right? And for me, I it's cool, but at the same time, I hate it because I want to explore. You know, I think about Silent Hill where. To an extent, you're kind of free to explore as long as the room is safe. And it's with Mr. X, it's interesting because it 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 really does push the story along versus a couple other horror games that kind of do that system where it's just endlessly chasing you. And it's like, at least with Mr. X, it's pretty easy to get around them. But when a game pushes you forward and it's kind of like out of your control like that, it it's to me, I get very picky about it. Like I, I like that system, but at the same time, I hate being rushed if I don't 
if I'm not able to explore that area mm, so much. I can totally see that. But I feel like I feel like with that character, it's done right. Like when I played Resident Evil Three with Nemesis, especially in the newer one, like that yeah. pissed me off because he was fast. I was like, dude, Mister X, he's kind of slow. But Nemesis, like, it it's kind of annoying. I don't know. Like, it's every game's different. Yeah. I guess. No, and it is nice too that they did like. Yeah, it is an annoyance in the game, but the fact that if you do down Mr. X, he drops something good, usually, right? Like an mm-hmm. item that you probably won't be able to get until much later in the game, or it's very hard to craft. Like, you usually get something pretty cool for, you know, doing that, even though it takes a lot of resources to potentially do that. But at least it's a possibility, right? So it kind of gives you some idea yeah. of like, oh, maybe I do want to fight back, right? Maybe I, I can stop this for a second. So I th- it is very clever. And you are right. Depending on the game, it definitely changes the vibe of it. But I do think that the Resident Evil games did it well. Where it's, it is still enjoyable experience, regardless. And this is kind of a side departure of it. I mean, stealth does play a point, And stealth was a mechanic yeah. I wanted to bring up real quick. In that... I don't mind stealth games, you know, like Assassin's Creed, stuff like that. Like, I don't mind it. If that's what the game is about, I I'll enjoy it. If it's a game that, you know, full on action and then has a random stealth section, that sucks. Another thing I hate about that, and this is what I hate even more, is that imagine you're a Metal Gear Solid, right? And you're in a big building and you were able to get past all these like eight rooms in a row, you know, and then you go to this other room that's on the other side of the building and this guy is all alone, right? There's no one around him, but somehow he sees you and now the whole place knows about you. Yeah. I hate that because it just feels so unrealistic. I'm like, how did this one dude call the whole complex over? You know, like it's, to me, it really kind of, that's the part of stealth I don't like. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mind if I get caught, but then he just sees me, and then that's it. You know, because you're in a room. Like, it, I understand maybe if the room next to you hears it too, and they come rushing over, but there's no reason why people from, like, eight rooms down are coming to run over to where you are, because how could they hear you? You know, and that's that's always been kind of my beef with a lot of stealth games. I know it, that happens. Like even, um, what do you call it? Um, even with death stranding, like there's certain parts where you think you don't get seen though. They're able to make it kind of work, right? Like there's, when you head into the scavenger side, like they have these little pylons that ping the area and it pings cargo. So, Later on, you're able to kind of overwrite that thing. But instead of like, you know, one guy sees you, it alerts everybody. You'll probably get hit by one of those pings. And then that's how mm. people know. So it it seems more realistic yeah. as a way for everyone to come running over to you. But yeah, stealth, it's it's a big hit or miss for yeah. me. You know, it's it's done really well in some games. But in other games, it's just... Oh my god, it's it's a little too much. No, totally agree with that. Um, but 
Yeah, the, I never really understood the whole like, oh, one person kind of saw me, so now everybody on the map is now alerted. It's like, okay, really? Like, that's not that's not real. That doesn't happen, right? So, so it does get really annoying really fast. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to bring up, because I feel like we're kind of getting to the gameplay side of mechanics, but something that I'm kind of getting sick of at this point that I need to get off my chest because I used to love these kind of games. I don't know. You're going to be like, what the heck? But card-based games. How dare. No, I totally agree. <laughs> it, well, Slay the Spire was great. You know, Inscription, beautiful. You know, like, there's some games that really, like, innovate that card um, system in a game. But out of nowhere, there was like 10 games that had this card battling mechanic and they didn't really do anything no, different it about same. it. I'm just yeah. like, yeah. like, it'd be cool if it was done like kind of like how The Quiet Year did it, you know, where it's a different take with the card system. Like, I know there was an indie game during Next Fest that I checked out last week and it was like a city building game with cards. And I was like, oh, this is mm -hmm. kind of cool. But when it's like Monster Train and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just not into it. Like Loop Hero is cool, and like, yeah. like I said, Inscription. But then now we have like, like Neon some Light places and crap do like that, where it's like, like okay, no, I totally, totally so, agree with you, a hundred percent. And like the cards are being abused, but whenever a card game does it mm -hmm. right, it's it makes sense. But the thing is, is that it feels like. The cards have to be the main mechanic you first think of in order to make the system work. For some of these games, it feels like it was an afterthought. It's like, oh, cards are popular. Let's put those in. Like, for me, when I look at games like Neon White that just came out, and like, it, I feel like it, it looks, looks great. Cool. It looks really fun. It's a really cool speedrun platformer game. The cards don't make any sense. It's not necessary at all, yeah. right? It totally feels like an afterthought. Like, those can easily be replaced with something else, right? But it feels like they're just jumping on it being cards because card games are popular. And they're they're popular because they're easy to understand. And I totally get that. And I am a sucker for card games myself. I, I do really enjoy them. But like I said, there are plenty of times where I'm playing a card game and I'm like, this doesn't need to be a card game. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This is kind of stupid. Or it's the same game I've played like countless times. It's like the Spire version, like 500, right? Like it's just, if they're not doing something innovative with it or different, then it's not really that interesting. So I totally get you with that. I'm just a sucker for them. Like it just feels, it feels yeah. good. And then once you play it, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I get it. I'm over it. All right. But yeah, I think it's time to dive into some of these battle mechanics, uh, probably go through them a little quickly because we are running a little late in the show. But there's not a lot to go over because battle mechanics, I feel like they're done well because that's games, right? Like that's it's what we expect mm -hmm. of them. But there are some mechanics that I think are really, really or I don't know, they're praised, but I don't feel like they're praised enough or understood enough. Like, for instance, the parry system. 
Perry's system is brilliant in titles, and it is it really creates such clutch moments for the players that it just like it adds that extra bit of tension that you really want in a title, like it, for instance with Dark Souls, right? You parry a move out, it's like, oh hell yeah, I got you, you know, like I got the timing down, I know what I'm doing, I got this, and it's just it it makes you feel like you are becoming a better player. And it's it makes it a very much more like enjoyable experience itself. So it is really fun, but I do feel like the parry system is becoming one of those things that isn't discussed as much anymore because it's been used so often um, and a little bit abused. But on the flip side of that, it could be just being looked at as something that fades in the background because it's such a clear mechanic that should be there and should work, right? So it's kind of hard to tell if it's just being yeah. used and abused or if it's fading in the background because it's just expected and it's just good game design, right? So I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence on that one of whether it's just not praised enough or it's just so damn good of a mechanic that we kind of just expect it now, right? I think if pairing is done like Dark Souls and Elden Ring and stuff, like it's to me that's kind of what I would expect now are like Bloodborne, like how Bloodborne did it, because that's where I finally like mm-hmm. learned how to parry well. It it really right. like changed the game for me, you know. And it's cool when games do that. I feel like a lot of games that do do that, it's just not as good. Like I think about Trek to Yomi, and I feel like their pairing system in that, I was like never really felt like I hit it off, or it mm-hmm. it didn't feel real. And I think that's another thing is sometimes it's pairing systems. It's like, it's just weird how you would mm-hmm. counter hit something that hit you like that, you know? So it's, I think it's a system that's getting better over time, but it's definitely like, you know, there's already a group that's perfected it. So it's hard for everybody else right. to get that on totally board. Uh, I, I think a system that sucks that you don't really see anymore or oh, quick time yeah. events, uh, glad that I shit's over i first. if it has <laughs> to be done i i like the way legend of dragoon has it where it's more like you know each character has a certain move so when they hit attack mm-hmm. or they use a skill it's gonna be like x square triangle or x x square like it's always the same combinations but like that made it fun but yeah, once you reach like 80 hours into the game and you've been doing this constantly, it does kind of suck. You know, like it gets to the point where it's like you've done this move 100 mm-hmm. times. They should just auto complete for yeah. you. Like but, uh, Infinite Undiscovery. Yeah, I mean, Remember quick that? time events. <laughs> yeah. Quick oh, time events yeah. have definitely been abused. That's for sure. I, <laughs> I love in modern games when you can change the accessibility and now you just hold a button down instead the whole time. Like every time a new game comes out, I go straight to accessibilities and change the quick time to where you just hold a button. Sometimes you don't even have to do anything. You can just have it auto-complete for you. I didn't know that. Which is amazing. Yeah, anytime you play like a modern game, like especially a AAA game, always check the accessibility. That's, that's a hot tip for everybody. You got to remember that one because I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> like, yeah, like Guardians of the Galaxy did that. Um, yeah, a lot of the big games do that, actually. It's it's super amazing. Smart, actually, I like that a lot. 
Yeah, but I remember when QuickTime events were all the rage, man. Aaron God of War playing that for the first time. Like, it just felt so cool. Like, even opening yeah. the chest, you're, like, struggling with it, and you have to smash the button down to make it happen, open up, right? Like, but, yeah, it oh, just God. it became a very abused mechanic where people just got really tired of it. And actually, I didn't think about that, but maybe, like, because the accessibility options are there, a lot of people did complain about that because there are some people who probably can't, you know, push the buttons that fast or in that combination, it, like, due to some sort of, you know, disability yep. or whatever it may be. So that could be why quick time events are just kind of dying out. And plus, people are just getting really tired of them. So it's very clever, but very interesting. Um, one mechanic that's really small that I actually really... There are certain times when I absolutely hate it, and it's a reload mechanic. Reloading in games is so annoying at times, especially when mm. it's like a shotgun and you're sitting there putting each shell in. Like, I understand that you want it to be realistic. I totally get that. But sometimes, like, just getting killed while you're reloading just sucks. Like, that is the worst feeling in the world. It's like, ah, shit. Like, and sure, you know, you could say, like, oh, you know, manage your weapons better, manage your bullets better. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever, man, I'm playing a game. Screw off, <laughs> right? But I think that one game that actually did the reload mechanic very well um, is actually Splatoon's. Splatoon's reload mechanic is super cool because it gets tied into mm. the traversal mechanic, which is really clever. So whenever you have to reload, you actually turn into a yeah. squid, hop into the pool paint that you're in, and you can actually you reload your paint canister that way. And I was like, that's actually really freaking cool because if you get stuck in a situation where like you're battling it out with somebody and you end up, you know, running out of ammo, you just hop right into the pool, you can get the hell out of dodge and reload your weapon at the same exact time. So it never feels like you have a moment where you're not doing something, right? Where you're just kind of like stagnant waiting for your clip to refill or the animation to finish or whatever the hell is going on, right? Like it actually gives you something to do as a mm -hmm. player, which I think is super clever, especially whenever this game is targeted more towards the youth and they want to constantly be playing. So having to stop to reload is very frustrating. So I, I think that's such a clever design and it could be used in a very strategic way too. And that's why I think that we're seeing such a... um like a growth for Splatoon in esports as well, because there's a lot of strategy behind that, right? Like hop in, hop out. When do you jump in? When do you, you know, like, is it okay to empty my full clip here? What do I do? Right? Like there's a lot of really like high level play that can come from that, which I think is really interesting and very well done. So. Now the last system that I want to talk about is one that. Uh, it's a love-hate, for sure. And it's one of those that people are going to probably be like, wow, you actually kind of hate that? It's like, yeah, I kind of do sometimes. But it falls in line with our turn-based system games, which I absolutely love turn-based games. I love my Final Fantasies. I love my JRPGs. But the ATV bar, right? Like, there are some times where that ATV bar is just really annoying. <laughs> like, uh, replaying Final Fantasy VII again, like the original original, I, waiting for the timer just to go up so you can just hit attack again is a little like, come on, just give me my turn base, right? Like, make it like Final Fantasy X where I know my turn's coming up, that's it. It's the same thing, but there's something different about me becoming more impatient watching the bar move opposed to it just being my turn coming up next, mm -hmm. right? And it's, like I said, it's the same exact thing. I have to wait the same amount of time, but 
it does get a little annoying now. And with the remake of Final Fantasy VII, they did they still have the ATB bar, which is done, I would say, better because while you're waiting for a spell or something to, you know, fire off, you're actually able to swap between characters, you know, do some actual actions, move around, position yourself. So like there's stuff you can do in the meantime. So you never feel like there's downtime in a battle. So I think it's it's one of those I definitely like definite yep. love hate between that one for sure. Cause I mean you can't have a turn based game without it, but at the same time I get impatient sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I I do like what the seven remake did with the ATB. It did make it a little more intuitive and felt faster paced. Um for the longest time I hated ATB. Uh to this day I still kinda do. I for me, I either want full turn based mm-hmm. or I'll just make it an action RPG. Like turn based is still fine with me, but if I want a game that is trying to break the mold, like I'd rather just have it where it's like ease, where you know, you just attack willy nilly, you know, it's it feels weird when you have ATB still. Because I know know there's other games out there that have a similar style to it where you're like time-locked into your moves. And it's like, I don't know. It's it's a weird mechanic. Especially if you're like me who always put the wait mode on so it still pauses (laughs) when you make your choice. But it's, I don't know. Yeah, I always found that stuff kind of weird. But there are so many different types of mechanics out there. And these are some of the mechanics that I feel like might get passed over, right? Whenever we think about game mechanics. And these are some of like the bread and butter mechanics out there. Something so simple as just being able to traverse the map can be done in such an amazing way that really changes the way we play games in the future, right? Or something as simple as how we reload our gun in a game can really change the way that future designers come up with ideas on how to handle that situation or how to pace things properly. So there's a lot of really cool things there. And as designers or as players out there, I think it's really important to not just play games, to you know look for the new mechanics, to look for the new shiny thing, but to focus on some of the tried and true and how they're being done differently. Because that's where the true innovation is. How do you get something that we are so familiar with to both feel familiar and new at the same time? And that's a very clever mechanic, which I think a lot of these that we've discussed today are. They took those basic ideas and made them interesting again. But with that, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, and we will talk to you all next week with the next set of games. Until then, bye for now. Bye.